to you today series called New. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Um, we've been in this text from 2 Corinthians, this is kind of our main text, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 17. Um, it's interesting, we, we talked about Paul last week and how he was converted. He was Paul of Tarsus and became Paul. And when you see this, basically a terrorist gets saved and give his heart to, to Christ and surrender his life to Jesus, you understand a little bit about the, the heartbeat of when he writes these letters to the churches and he writes about, you know, in 2 he who belongs to Christ becomes a new creation, a new person. The old life is gone and behold, the, a new life has begun. And knowing his story makes that what he says more significant and more powerful because he understood what it meant to live in an old life. He understood what it meant to uh, to be far away from God, thinking that maybe he was doing God's work, but rounding up Christians, having them arrested, uh, having them killed, having them in prison, and then Jesus shows up and changes everything. And so you see in Paul this old life and new life. And, and, and so this series is about the new life that we can have in Jesus Christ. To believe God for a new heart, to believe God for a new attitude, a new mind, a new marriage or family. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. To have faith in Him to do the impossible. We prayed about that today. That word that came forth that we can believe God to do the impossible. Those family members, those impossible situations that we thought you know, were, were far gone and that God can still work when we put our trust and our hope in Him. To believe God that He can work in the midst of something that feels like it's never going to change. Week one, we unpack this passage in 7 Corinthians 5. Uh, I will, uh, again, touch in on that in just a little bit, um, uh, that key passage, but we kind of unpack that. I'm not going to do that again for you today. If you'd like to hear that message, you can feel free to go online or order a CD if you like. Um, but uh, we kind of unpacked that in five passage last week. We did look at Paul's conversion story and the zealous murderer who becomes a Christian. And his life is one of those that the people around, they knew his reputation. This would be like a senior member of a terrorist group, ISIS, becoming a Christian. Um, Paul was, uh, as he was Saul of Tarsus, he was rounding people up, as I said before, and his reputation preceded him. People were amazed when he became a Christian. They said that he wanted to go meet with the believers, and they said that they were afraid. They said, well, we, we know who this guy is. We know what he's been doing. And we, we, we don't want any part of this. And then, so some of the other guys, like Barnabas and a couple of the other guys, go, no, it's real. He really, really did become a Christian. He really is different. He really has changed. And he begins to minister to the Gentiles. But his reputation preceded him to the, to the point where he even knew about his past. And he was, you know, at one time when he's, he, you know, he's testifying of his conversion, that he's telling them, he said, well, I debated with God about this too. It's like, it's almost like informing God, God, you, you know who I am, right? And, and, and God said, no, I have no idea, you know. God knew his past, and Paul felt somewhat dictated by his past, like, how could you use me? And I'm glad to be a Christian, but how in the world could you use a person like me? I, I, don't, I don't see how you can do that anymore. Again, God can do 
the, he can do the impossible, and he can make possible that which what he thought was impossible. And I love his story. And so we kind of looked at that again to have hope in Jesus, to pray, continue to pray for that love on that friend, that co worker, um, continue to believe and hope. But uh, Paul Thornton helped us as we read his letters. And again, this is that key passage we're going to look at here, as in the, in the second slide here. He, he, he said some things before this, and again, that was the first week that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone, Anyone that we can believe God for, anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. And Paul's writing this. Paul's writing this to the Corinthian church, and he wrote different things to, you know, different the different churches, and but it was always the common thread of look at what Jesus can do. Jesus can change your life. And when he's writing, he's writing these words. He said, I'm living proof. Just look at my life. If God can change me, he can change you. Your story is not impossible. Ephesians 3, that's why he wanted us to understand the love of God. He writes to the Ephesians and he's thinking about and he's kind of processing what Jesus did. And he's like, when I, when I think about this, I'm overwhelmed and I fall to my knees in this humble Worship and adoration of God, because remember, Saul of Tarsus. Saul meant what? It means inquired of, searched for, and he said, "I want to start being called Paul, small, humble, little." So, so when I think about what Jesus did, when I think about the cross, when I think about His love, I fall to my knees and I'm praying for you guys that you would understand how high, how wide, how deep, how long the love of God is for you. If you can just get a little bit, you can understand God's love, it will change the way you live, it will change everything about you. So today and next week, we're going to give some kind of practical, yet biblical and spiritual guidance of what it means to be come new. Today, how do we live a new life? How do we live a new life? Because we can talk about these things. We can look at Paul and we can say, well, how does that apply to me? What, what does the Word of God say to me? How do I walk this new life out? How do I let go of my old life and let go of my old habits and my old patterns and become new? I'm thankful to God for the promise, but how do I do it? Because we know that those old habits, that, that, that the old life sometimes wants to creep in from time to time. It shows up from time to time. We have to deal with that. But I believe God has, God's Word has the answer to and He will give it. Next week, we're going to look at what happens and what do we do when we don't feel new. And we're wrestling within our own hearts, and I don't feel God's newness. And I'm wrestling, and how do I walk in that newness of life in some areas when I don't feel like it? And we're going to look at that next week. Conversion is important. How many of you agree with that? Last week we looked at Paul's story. There's a conversion that happens. You know, I, I, I was this way and now I have given my life to Christ and so there's a moment of conversion that's hugely important, but it is just the beginning. It's a beginning of a new life happening. Christ followers have a story. You should have a story when you fully surrender your life to Jesus. 
you hear those kind of words in Christendom when I got saved. And that's in the Bible. That's what the people ask Peter. What must we do to be saved? So they understand, I need to be rescued. There's a confession there even when you hear the word saved. People grow up with that word, are you saved? You know what I'm talking about? One word, that idea of conversion. In other words, you look at Christ and you say, I need, a, I need a rescuer because I need to be saved from my sins. Saved, or we talk about asking Jesus into our heart. These are some of the words that we grow up with. That's not in the Bible, by the way. Not that I think that that's wrong, but asking Jesus. It, it, it's, it is a surrender of your life. You, you don't have in the Bible someone asking Jesus into their heart. And again, I'm not saying that that's how you did it. Don't, 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 don't. Uh, if you menace sincerely, God is living inside you. Um, but in the Bible, you didn't have like a sinner's prayer. Pray this prayer after me. And I believe in all that. I believe that you can do that. Again, it's sincerity of heart. It's, it's not just trying to say, I want to escape from circumstances. It's, I want to give my life fully to Christ. And the idea in the Bible was, I was not following Christ, and now I am following Christ. Some of you responded to an altar call. You came forward. Somebody had asked you to come forward. And you remember the old Billy Graham crusade? It was fun to watch. Just people just kind of come down in droves and give their lives to Christ. Maybe you were all alone. You didn't have to be in a big crowd. Maybe you were all alone, and it was just a moment. And you were saying, I realized my need of Jesus. Sometimes it can happen a little bit over a period of time. You're wrestling with it. Do I really believe it? And then, but there is that there is that moment. There is that time when you have a realization that you put your hope, your trust, your very life into the hands of Christ. I want you to be my Savior, and I want you to be my Lord. And it's under it's, it's very important for us to understand Savior and Lord. We need saving, but we also need Him to be in control. Savior means He's rescued us. Lord means now He's in control. You have that both. He is both Lord and Savior. Paul writes this in Romans 10. It's not up on the screen, but he says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, so more than just what you say, do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you your heart that you believe and are justified, and this is your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So there's this intentional moment that goes from your heart to your mind to your mouth that he is who you say was. I need him. I am desperately needy of him and I surrender my life to him. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I give my life. That is conversion. But it's only the beginning. If you're here today and you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Don't Don't wait. If God is drawing you and He's knocking on your heart and He's convicting you, but if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. And again, we see Paul's conversion story last week that there was, he has this encounter. His was a, a, a pretty dramatic encounter. And, you know, again, we love to hear the, the adult, you know, Teen Challenge Choir because you hear these pretty dramatic stories of. I was this way, and, and it was dark, and I was stealing addiction. Paul was, I was murdering Christians, and, and, and I had this moment with Christ, and now my life is different. Just because those are dramatic stories, don't let that negate your story of following Christ. 
that, that, that if you've given your heart to Christ, you have gone through death to life. And, and we have Paul's dramatic story of having this moment with Jesus. And again, his story serves as a testimony to us that we give this life to Jesus and God begins to use his life and then two-thirds of the New Testament are written by a former terrorist. That's amazing when you think about it like that. And if you were, you know, and again, if you were to ask Paul, you just thought, I, I, I would have never thought God would have used me that way. Another story that I liked, and I actually, uh, for, for kids that were in youth group on Wednesday, I, I got to practice on them. I told this story, and it was part of my sermon today, but another one of my favorite conversion stories is Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Everybody knows the song, right? You remember that? You can't. Wee little man was he. I always say a wee little man. is a guy in this person. Wee little man. You know, um, he was a wee fellow. You know, um, we do know about him that he was a chief tax collector. He was a wee little, but he was pretty savvy as far as his concern with, uh, with, with, with what he was doing in that day. Tax collectors, as we all know, tax collectors were hated. They were, when people would say, he, when Jesus is a friend of sinners and tax collectors, and, and they would lump them in with, like, you know, really bad people. And you better understand, and you think, you know, and I understand we're, we're, some of us have an opinion about taxes now, and uh, we'll keep that to ourselves right now, but back in that day, the reason why they were hated so much was Again, they, they, they had the Roman government behind them that they could do, they could do people wrong. They could say, you know, you, like, I know it on paper it says that you owe me 400 shekels or whatever the uh, money is, uh, but here's, here's what I'm, and I'm coming to your door, uh, you owe me 800. And it didn't matter, you could debate with them all you want to, and, and here's the thing, there was no debate because they could turn you over to Roman soldiers if you didn't pay up. And you, and you have this idea that Zacchaeus is a wealthy chief tax collector, and you know what he was doing. I mean, it, 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 it's kind of obvious. It doesn't take too much to read between the lines. He's saying, okay, you owe me, you know, I'm you know, the Bureau family, you owe me, you know, I know the papers are 400, give me 800. And they have to just give it up and give the 800. So you know what was happening is they would take the 800, they would give the Roman government 400, and what did you do to the other four? That's how he became a very rich man, okay? To despise in that regard. But here's the thing about tax collectors. Who were they supporting? The Roman government. The, the Romans were brutal. If you, if you went against the Roman government, they were killing machines. They knew how to torture people. That's why crucifixion was invented by the Romans. Crucifixion was meant to be long, torturous. By the end of it, you're begging someone to kill you. That's how bad it is. And they knew how to torture people to say, to make people an example of don't cross the Roman government. They were known to go in villages and, and, and literally put crosses up on the road going into these villages where they would kill women, men, children, to make a statement that you will not cross to us. So you have Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, that's not only taking advantage of people, but is also the money is funding the Roman government. You can see how the people of the day didn't like him very much. To give you context, it's more than just this wee little man who was a little greedy. This guy was bad. He was horrible. But there's something in him 
There's a little burning something in his heart that hears and knows the stories about Jesus. I've heard this guy, maybe, maybe he was witness to a miracle, maybe he was there at one of Jesus' teachings, and something in his heart is burning to say, Lord, uh, you know, I, I want to find out more about this guy. And so, you know, Jesus is coming through that area. At this time, he was very popular, and, uh, you know, this is before that, you know, that people began to turn on him. And so, you know, here's Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, and he couldn't see over the crowd, and so he goes to the hat, he climbs this tree, to get a better look, and I love it. So Jesus is walking, people are pushing in on him. I mean, it was not uncommon for people to just be, you know, pressing in on him on every side, you know, uh, people that had need, people that wanted to be healed, touched, or something. And so he, and he stops us in the tree and he calls back to us out by name. And I love that. Because again, what are we, why are we encouraged? This is more than Zacchaeus' story, this is the word of God, so it's a story to us. When Jesus says Zacchaeus, the power of knowing him by name, Jesus knows you by name. He knows you. He created you. He has a plan for you. He's just freaking Zacchaeus out. You know, he's calling him by name. Zacchaeus, I must go to your house today. Now let's pick up this story in verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately on the stage of your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed you gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Why did they begin to mutter? They knew who he was. His reputation preceded him. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They hated this guy. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look here, Lord, I... Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay that four times the amount. And then Jesus said, and today's salvation has come to this moment. Interestingly enough, that Jesus says, today's salvation has come to this moment. Zacchaeus didn't say, Jesus, come into my heart. He didn't say, uh, you know, um, you know I'm, 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 you know, he didn't have this kind of altar call. There's something definitive that happened that changed in him. And Jesus recognizes that salvation has come. He used to be this way, now he is this way. I will pay back. And so he begins to get to the poor. He begins to come to the viewers and say, I'm not going to give you only your 800, I'm giving you 1600. That's a great day. It's a very good day. Something has happened in this man's heart. Jesus noticed and made this declaration of salvation today, salvation has come. Things were changing in Zacchaeus. There was noticeable proof that newness of life was beginning, right? Something new is happening. He wasn't the same old Zacchaeus. He looked differently. He began to act differently. If we call on the name of Jesus, if we are Christ followers, if we say, I am a Christian, there should be something different about how we live. And I'm not talking about works unto salvation. It's not to be nice and then Jesus likes me and I'm saved. No, it's I'm rotten to the core. I need a Savior. I need to be rescued. I am a sinner. I give my life to Christ. 
And now because of my love for him, not that I'm trying to earn his love and earn his favor, it's not works of the salvation, but when I give my life in, something different should be taking effect in my life. And so fruit begins to be born. Newness of life starts happening. And it is a process. This is pretty dramatic where Zacchaeus immediately realizes it and he did to the poor, I'm going to pay back people that I exceeded, and we begin to see that, but he begin to look differently, and we look differently. The Holy Spirit's work in us that we are becoming more like Christ. That's why Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit, right? You know, and I, there's that passage that a lot of people throw around, and say, well, you know, don't, don't judge me, Right? Don't judge. Jesus said, don't judge, lest you be judged. Right, we are not to condemn anyone. Eternal life is in the hand of God the Father. We are not anyone's judge in that regard. But I can stand back and I can be a fruit inspector. And we are to, and Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. That's why when we give our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in, in, inside of us. God's Spirit, Christ's Spirit. Paul writes, the fruits of the Spirit, and Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, and my more loving. Maybe I used to have a hard time with loving, more and more loving, and, and God's love is being poured through me. And now, I used to be so impatient, now I have more patience. I used to be bitter and angry, now I have joy. And people are going, what is going on with you? You used to be such an angry person. Now you're so joyful. What is going on in you? It's the work of Christ. It's the fruit of the Spirit being in operation. And so it's to be noticeable. If we say and we call upon the name of the Lord, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, and we're still living the old way when we are forsaking the new life, there's something wrong with it. Not again, now, I'm not saying that we don't wrestle with the old life of the enemy. We don't wrestle with the old habits and patterns. We, we have to deal with them. But there should be something that we're looking more and more like Christ. Let's look at what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist is preaching, he's preparing the way of the Lord. Let's go to Matthew 3. Uh, and I know John the Baptist didn't play around. He started to preach to and he was pretty bold. Now listen to me. He said, when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees, who is that group? It's the religious of the day, right? They are saying we are followers of God. We follow God. And, and so they had this form of religion, this form of godliness, but their hearts were far from God. He saw many Pharisees and Sadducees come to watch him baptize. He Denounced watching them back like he denounced them. You guys are really not that nice. Um, this is bold. You brood of snakes. Who warned you to flee God's coming around? This is what he says in verse 8. This is very important. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. In other words, don't tell me that you're a, a, a Christ follower. Don't tell me that you've repented and turned from your sins. I want to see how you live. But this is not John judging. 
judge lets you rejudge. He said, I want to see the fruit. One, one translation says, he says, I want to see the fruits of repentance. I want to see in your life that you actually, because you guys say you're following God, but your lives don't line up with it. You say you, you know, we can say, you know, you, can, you say you're a Christian, a Christ follower, but if your life is in constant contradiction, I'm saying constant contradiction, something is wrong. I want to see it in your life. Where's the newness of life? Where's the fruit of the Spirit in operation? Or where's the process of newness? Again, none of that, none of that is a snap of the finger. But, you, you, but where's the process of newness? In other words, how does how does one recognize that we are a Christ follower? What does that look like? What does it mean that I say I am a Christian? I follow Christ. How do people recognize that? That is why newness of life is a continual day-to-day process. It's a relationship with Jesus. Do not miss that. That's why Paul says you need to understand the love of God. Look at the cross and know that He loves you and in relationship He walks with you and He says, I want this day-to-day process of the newness of life. And that also habits begin to change over time. Now, there are, there are again, there are those dramatic moments where all of a sudden, boom, I have this problem, and bam, I don't have that problem like the next day. And God can do that. But we need to understand that newness of life is a process and that, that relationship that God wants to walk out with us, the relationship with Christ. It's not a one-time thing. Again, if you did those things. I asked Jesus into my heart. I responded to an altar call. I got baptized. Great. That was just the beginning. That was the beginning point. That's not what saved you or continued to bring you newness of life. Those are important. I'm not diminishing that. But am I following Christ today? Am I walking in relationship with Him today? So we're going to look at some passages of Scripture that are going to give us this key of how to walk in newness of life. And in these passages of Scripture, I want you, and I'm going to cue in on some key words, and I want you to take your notes to write these kind of key words down or at least meditate and think about them. But we're going to look at what Jesus taught, and then we're going to look at what Paul wrote and what Paul taught in this idea of how to walk in newness of life. So let's go to the first thing. Jesus said this, Luke 9. Then he said to the crowd, I like that he said to the crowd, that's to us too. So he was preaching then, the word of God is not constrained by time or distance. So he's preaching up, if any of you, any of you, isn't that a great invitation? This is Jesus, if any of you, I, I'm, I'm, salvation's open to any of you, but any, if any of you want to be my follower, what do you have? You must turn from the selfish ways, take up your cross, what? There's a key word, take up your cross daily. Just take up your cross at one time and then you're good to go. That's not what Jesus said, take up your cross daily and what? Follow me. 
Then he says something kind of interesting. Here's that kind of dichotomy of the kingdom of God. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. In other words, if you keep living for yourself, it's a good way to lose your life. But if you give up your life, and another key phrase, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And then what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost to destroy? And that's the... That's this kind of life that we live in. It's constantly battling against the culture that we live in because culture preaches to us, live for yourself. Live for yourself. And it's the people that we idolize, the people in TV, the people in music, the athletes, and we idolize them. And, and they, you know, they, they have it made. You know, we, and we, we, we see them and we what a life that is. But they have gained the whole world. But they're losing their own soul. And Jesus said, what benefit is that? Live for my kingdom. Go against the culture of the day that says, live for yourself. Live for yourself. And Jesus says, no, if you want to be my follower, you don't live for yourself. You lay down your life daily and walk with me. What does Paul teach? Those who what? What's the word? Those who what? Belong. It's a key word there. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And see some of the key words? Belong. I talked about this last week. Those who belong to Christ. Paul understood Belong. Do you belong to Christ? In other words, does He own you? When, when something belongs to you, you are the owner. It's, it's an idea. It's, it's, I possess this. Do you belong to Christ? And Jesus is saying, every day, I want you to belong to me. I want you to give your life to me. Every day, that doesn't mean getting re-saved over and over. That's not what I'm talking about. It's just saying, Lord, I need you today. I, 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 I surrender my heart today. I give you my life today. But do I belong to Him? And Paul is saying, those who belong to Christ, you've nailed the path and desires of your sinful nature to His cross. And so, then how many times does Jesus say, you have to do that? Daily. You see where this is going? Then He says, since you are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading. Who's leading? You guys, help me out now. Come on, I need somebody to help me preach. We were talking about black churches, black some folks the other, the other day, some of our young adults, and you know, about the label, help you preach, and they'll preach for you. I mean, they'll just go down at you, and I like it. So I'm not going to get you to help me here. It's helping us fall asleep, too. If we're living by the Spirit, then let us follow the Spirit's leading and living for our lives. And interestingly enough, this is right after the Galatians 5 24. You know what 22 and 23 is? The fruits of the Spirit. What we just talked about. In other words, I want to see the fruit in your life. I want to see that it's, you know, that, that's how to see that you are a Christian is that love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. And then what he gets into is let the Spirit lead your life every day. Nail your sinful passions to the cross because that old self is going to creep up every now and then, right? The last, you know, and somebody goes, well, do you ever get rid of your sinful nature? I said, yeah, the day you stop breathing. 
When somebody passes from death to life, they have just let go of their sinful nature. But until, uh, uh, while we are alive, we have to we are constantly in this battle. Paul writes about it in Romans 7. It's a constant battle. It's a constant struggle. That's why Jesus says daily you have to do it. Paul says nail it to the cross daily. Let the Spirit lead daily. Surrender daily. But it's all in a loving relationship, not of work driven. You know, I'm just going to muscle through. And nobody's like, wow, if that's what it's about, I don't want any part of that. But it's Paul saying, I fall to my knees when I understand what he's done for me and how he loves. And there might be days where you can trust people like that. I'm going to love him and follow him. Spirit lead me. Spirit lead me. So you have these key words, God bless you. Cross daily. Follow me. Give up your life. Belong to Jesus. You see these key words are coming up. Crucify your flesh daily. Let the Spirit lead you. Let's go to the next one, Galatians 2. And a lot of us are familiar with verse 21. I, I, you know, I, or, I mean, verse 20. You know, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by what? Isn't that good? I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I trust that he gave his life to me. I believe it. I trust it every day. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. We need the grace of God. It is powerful, but it's not cheap. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. I love that. He said, I trust the cross. I trust the payment that Jesus made for me. That's what I put my trust in. And when he's talking about the law, and how does that, you know, obviously the Jews would understand that, the people, the law people, what it helps us is that we don't rely on living a moral good life to make us right with God. I'm not trying to be nicer or gooder, as they say in Tennessee. Gooder. Because if that could make me right with God, Jesus would not have had to go to the cross, right? But I trust that his payment was enough for me, and I follow my knees because I see that he did it out of love for me. And he knows me by name. And just in case you didn't think that grace is helpful, but not cheap, let's look at the next one. This is the moment. It's kind of a baptism passage. So well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Should we? So of course not. One translation, he says, God forbid that you do that. Because he's been preaching grace, and you love grace, and it's amazing grace. And, but he says, don't treat God's grace with contempt. In other words, God's grace, and I'm walking in new life, and I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. No, because if you look at this whole thing packaged together, what John the Baptist would say, prove by the way you live that you repent from, from your sins and you turn to God. Don't keep living in sin. Don't just justify it. Don't make excuses for it. He said, well, if God's grace, then we'll just spend more and more so we can understand more of God's grace. No. How you understand God's grace more is that He gives the power and strength not to keep on doing that. And now the old habits and the old patterns are, I'm not fighting with them as much, not that you don't, you never fight with them. 
But now I'm not fine. That's God's grace. The Spirit's giving me power, and that's God's grace to help me to walk in newness of life. And that's when people, you know, when they see Zacchaeus or Paul or your life, they go, what's different about you? I haven't seen you in 20 years, and man, there's something different about you. You used to be this way, and now it's this way. You have an opportunity. It's by God's grace that I'm walking in newness of life. Paul says, should we keep on sinning? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, there's the key word, died to sin. How often do we do that? There we go. You guys are good. You're helping me now. How, we, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live what? New lives. That's why the importance of baptism and knowing what it is. It's more than just saying, I think it'd be cool to get dunked in water. If that's what you're thinking, go to the pool and have a great time. The significance and the importance of life, understanding that I am identifying and I'm saying no to my old life. I am saying I'm going public. I'm showing everyone when I go into the waters that I believe Jesus died, and I'm dying with him, and he was raised to life, and I'm being raised to new life, and now I'm going to walk differently. I'm going to walk in newness of life by God's grace and God's help and God's power. And now I'm not dictated by that anymore. So do you see the peace? Jesus taught it. Paul taught it. Paul had this conversion to Christianity, but he knew it was, the only, it was only the beginning. That's why he taught the things he taught. Now we have to live it out. His teaching modeled Jesus' teaching. That you become new, you live a new life, you walk in the new newness of life by dying. That's the key. You walk in newness of life by dying, not just once, but every day. And so these are the steps towards newness of life. Take up your cross daily. Don't hang on to your old life. Belong to Jesus, that He's the owner, this relationship. Through that, nail your sinful passions and your desires to His cross. Live by the Spirit's leading. Let your old self die and allow Christ to live in, through, in and through you. And then if you are dead to sin, how can you continue to live in it? His power gives us new life when we die to ourselves. And so if you're here today and you feel like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not living in the newness of life, it may be because that you're holding on to some of the old part, the parts of your old life. But here's the good news. Don't be discouraged. Don't be condemned. Today, you can surrender a new to Him, His mercy during the living morning. But let me tell you this, it will take death. Not, not, not literal physical death, I'll do anything crazy. It will take death. I die to myself. I die to myself again today. It will take death. Giving up the rights to yourself. Giving up the rights to your ways, your thoughts. Bucking against saying, I'm no to culture and being dictated by the world and living his ways. Because here's the thing about getting this revelation. You cannot partially die. Sorry, Princess Brightbanks. Shows what you know. He's a mostly dead. 
For anyone that's seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. You can't be mostly dead. Not, not, not in a spiritual sense. And that's when people, they, they, they go, you know, Jesus, you can have 95%, but oh, I'd like to keep, I'd like you to keep your hands off of this 5%, this 2%, this 1%, this 1%, one. doesn't work. You can't be mostly dead in the kingdom. You have to fully die to yourself. That's why the equivalent in the Old Testament, why we need the Old Testament. You know the Old Testament, when you think of sacrificing worship, it was something needed to die, right? That's why they made animal sacrifices. It was a foreshadow to what Christ would do, and that's why they had to, you know, they had to continue to, to kill animals, and then Christ was the once and for all sacrifice. But there's something powerful about that because we do have to daily crucify ourselves and hold on to His work. But something had to die. Worship, the idea of worship was synonymous with death in the Old Testament. So it's sacrifice. It to die daily. So if you want new life, you have to die again and again and again. The old self isn't gone again. It, it likes to show up. The old habits, patterns, sins. We have to walk in newness of life and say, Lord, I bring those to you every day. I surrender my heart to you every day. I come to your cross every day. I understand out of love every day that I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to nail that stuff to your cross over and over again. My addictions, my anger, my unforgiveness, my sexual sin, my bitterness, my anger, my lust. And when we're doing that, this is proof that we belong to Christ. People see the difference in us. You used to do this, now you don't. And we won't be able to take credit for it. Also, the proof is seen by how we respond when we blow it. Right? Do we make excuses for it, or do we repent of it? God, I recognize that I was wrong. God, forgive me. And when people see that, that's even, that's proof of new life happening in us. So the proof of new life is that I'm completely and I don't ever deal with that ever again. It's when I blow it, I repent and I get up again and I live for Jesus and I say, God, forgive me. That is also proof that His newness of life is working in me. What about our marriage and our family? I wanted to briefly talk about this. Sometimes marriages and families get into ruts and pain and problems. You take imperfect people and you put them in a family unit. It's all kinds of drama. That's why I laugh when I read stuff about the dysfunctional family who says, I'm like, we are all dysfunctional people. If you say your family's not dysfunctional, God bless you. You need to repent. Um, because we all bring baggage, past stuff, issues, insecurities, pride, all kinds of issues that we bring in this family union. You know, we know each other so well, but it's easy to get into the rut because we know each other so well. But God wants to breathe new life into our marriages and new life into our families. How does He do it? Someone needs to die, and that someone is me. You can't approach it. That's why we have to choose to die daily. You can't say, hey, we need a new family, we need a new marriage, and someone needs to die, and that someone is you. If you're saying that, we have a whole other set of issues going on. 
But I believe that God wants to give us new life, that we, from this day forward, again, that we can take hope in who Christ is, not in us. And maybe, you, maybe your family and your marriage feels bad. Maybe you feel like you're in a rut. Maybe you feel like that you're just in this kind of wilderness, wandering and wandering. But it's time for a new day. That's the newness of life where there was once death. And we say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to put a stake in the ground. And we are going to move forward. And, and like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe we haven't been serving the Lord. Maybe we've been doing things. But today, we put a stake in the ground. We say, from this day forward, we are going to serve the Lord. We're going to establish new godly habits in our marriage, in our family. We're going to pray with each other, and we're going to pray for each other. We're going to do family devotions, and we're going to seek God in our family. We're going to guard what we're watching on the TV set. We're going to guard what is coming in on the computer. We're going to guard what we listen to, not because of work, but because Jesus is in me, and I don't want to walk in the old patterns and the sins of my life. And it'll be uncomfortable. You know, I've talked to, to men before, no men here, but I've talked, you know, talked to men before and I don't know how to really pray for my wife. It's easy. Pray for her. It doesn't have to be slick or religious. God, help touch our family, touch our marriage. We give our marriage to you in Jesus' name, amen. And start out like that. Pray for your children. Pray for one another. Culture has begun to dictate the things that we do. And we take our lead from culture. We take our lead from Hollywood. We take our lead from other than Jesus Christ. And we need to start putting the Word of God in Jesus Christ as the foundation of our home and our marriage again. And it's uncomfortable. But death is uncomfortable. Right? It's not very comfortable. Jesus didn't go to the cross and go, that's a piece of cake. He did it, though, and, 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 and the example that he gave us was that we would come to ourselves. It is, however, how we have life. God wants to resurrect and bring new life to our marriage, our families. But someone needs to die, and that someone's me. We want to make an impact in our workplace, or our schools, around our friends. But to do that, someone has to die, and that someone is me. We want to bring new life into our church, and, then, and even in church life, it's easy to get into a rut and, and just kind of doing things and going through the old patterns, and it's just us four and no more, and we're not reaching any new people. But God wants to bring new life into the church, but somebody's going to have to die, and that someone is me. Encourage you in the name of Jesus and the life of Christ. Don't stop complaining about your boss. Your circumstances, your situation, the teachers. I believe Christ followers should be the greatest agents of change in their sphere of influence because we carry the life of Jesus and we carry the life of the Holy Spirit within us. That's why Jesus could go into situations where there were sinners all around and the Pharisees would look at him and say, You know, you, you're in the house you know, sinners and some don't you know these people but who was who was changing the spiritual atmosphere of the room? It was Jesus. He didn't become worldly. The world all of a sudden they wanted to get around him. What do you have to say to us? We want to hear what you have to say. We should be carrying the life of Jesus, the life of the Spirit 
into our sphere of influence. To cause this, someone needs to die, and that someone is me. Jesus wants the newness of life to pour in us and through us wherever we go. To affect the areas of life that I live, my marriage, my family, my workplace, my school, my neighborhood, my community. We serve a living, risen Savior. And we should be the greatest agents of change that the world has ever seen that his life works in us and through us. But we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our habits, our sins every day. We do this by belonging to him, giving him ownership, loving him, taking up our cross every day. Every day, every day. And change can come. Newness of life can come. It's going to take someone dying. And that someone is me. It's perfect. Jesus, we love you. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, God, today that we would believe who you are and believe, Lord, just really believe, God, who you are and who you created us to be. Lord, I, I just forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for, Lord, how we have lived for ourselves. Forgive us for our selfishness. Lord God, forgive us for being led by the world and the culture of the world instead of you. Forgive us, O oh God, that we have not been led of the Spirit, but we get up and we lead our own lives at times. Lord, we want to today put a stake in the ground here and now to say, Jesus, we need you. We surrender to you. Lord, looking at the cross and understanding your love to give our hearts to you, fresh and new today. Lord, that through your grace and through your power that I can take up the cross every day, that, Lord, I can belong to you every day. That, Lord, you can give me newness of life. You can give my marriage newness of life. You can give my family newness of life. You can give my church newness of life. You can give my workplace newness of life. You can give my school newness of life. Lord, you're asking me to die in my so that you can live. God, help us not to hold on to our own lives so that we lose it, but we would lose our lives for your sake, that we might gain it. Gain the life that you have for us. We're going to close with communion. I think it's a very appropriate way to close our time.